It is really good to be here. Uh, thank you for that introduction, Pastor Kevin. Uh, we just want to thank you uh, my, on behalf of me and my wife, Kayla, and then we have two little girls, Eden and Livy. They're four and two. They're in, in the back now. I think that's where we left them anyways. Hopefully that's still where they are. Uh, but we are, each of you are by extension of being part of Hope Church. Uh, each of you are ministry planters because as kind of Pastor Kevin alluded to, uh, last year we really officially launched PARA Ministries uh, as our uh, in- independent uh, interdenominational ministry. And so you guys support us monthly as a church, as, as some of you as individuals. And so we just want to thank you. And we wouldn't be where we are uh, if, if it wasn't for churches and individuals just like y'all partnering with us. Several of y'all this morning have already come up and say, hey, we're praying for you. Every time I see a fake Facebook post or whatever, it reminds me to pray for y'all. And so just thank you. Continue to do that. We're excited. We'll be going down uh, to Belize and Mexico for the month of April into May, uh, and then possibly later in the year down to Honduras. Uh, and we're working with leaders as well in Guatemala. So it's just been encouraging to see how God is moving down there, but also here in the U.S. too. So we are, we're going to continue uh, the series that Pastor Kevin started a few weeks ago, uh, Relationally Speaking. And so we're going we're gonna to be a little bit here, there. We're going to kind of mainly be in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, right before we get there, we're going to look at uh, John chapter 10. So if you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 5 and John chapter 10, we'll kind of flip from John 10 back to Ephesians 5. Uh, but, I, you know, as I, anytime I get invited to preach somewhere, I always generally like to be able to go back and listen to just the, the previous Sunday sermon, just hear, you know, Preaching is not, there is a science to it as far as preparation and, and how pastors and preachers do it, but the goal of preaching should be that this is a time being led by the Holy Spirit where um, whoever's speaking here has spent the time to prepare, but as we're preaching that we're sharing, what we're really sharing what God is putting in our heart real time. Uh, and so because of that, I always like to listen to the, the previous Sunday just to kind of, hey, what was God saying that Sunday? How was the Holy Spirit week, uh, working? And so as I listened to Pastor Kevin last Sunday, uh, there were several things that I just loved how he brought out speaking about this idea of relationships. And as he talked about the greatest commandment, uh, when Jesus was asked, hey, what is the greatest commandment? Uh, he said, you know, love the Lord your God. And then the second is also love your neighbors. And one of the things that Pastor Kevin said last week is that Really, we could boil down the greatest commandment to loving God and loving others. Uh, And if there's one kind of thought from the word of God that should be most pervasive in our mind or constantly before us is those two things. How am I loving God and how am I loving others? Uh, Because really, from Genesis to Revelation, uh, we were, from Genesis, we were created to know and love God. Uh, And then we were created not just to have that knowledge, but then to live that out uh, mainly through relationships, how we love others, and not just people that we're in relationship with, but, but those that we encounter in our day-to-day lives, how we're loving God and loving others. And as, as he, he was talking about relationships last week, one of the things that he said was relationships are really, really, really hard. You could probably throw a few more reallys in there at times, uh, depending on the relationship that we're having. Uh, and, and so part of that really, really, really hardness, uh, as he mentioned, is that it also applies even into marriage, that there's times where marriage is really, really, really hard. And Pastor Kevin said, sometimes we might not even like our spouse. But you know what? There's, there's nowhere actually in God's word where it says to like our spouse. It says we're called to love our spouse. 
right? And so uh, that's really what we're going to focus on this morning, how we do that. Uh, and I'm going to kind of even submit that loving our spouse is maybe a byproduct of some, another relationship of something else. And then just one of, the, one of the things that Pastor Kevin mentioned too is just when it comes to relationships, that pain in relationships is unavoidable. Uh, we're broken people, every one of us. If we breathe a single breath, we have sin in our life. We have inherited that sin. Uh, we, we are sinful beings. And so because of that, when you bring, that's why there's conflict in churches many times, is you bring broken people together, there's going to be mess. And, and that's part of just being in relationship with one another. And so specifically as it comes to marriages, as I've done premarital counseling with several people over the years, one of the things that I tell them, and sometimes I even have to tell myself in marriage, is uh, a healthy marriage is not marked by a lack of conflict, but how that conflict is resolved. And I would say that's true for all relationships, but again, this morning we'll be talking about marriage relationship. There's going to be conflict in marriage. There's, it's going to happen. And so when, when, when we have conflict, many times because we compare ourselves to what we see on social media, we compare ourselves to what the world says marriages should or shouldn't look like, we start to feel maybe like whether it's guilt or shame or why is there tension or conflict in our marriage? Because we're human and because we're broken and we, because we're sinful, because we're prideful. And when two prideful, sinful, broken people come together to love and serve and submit to one another, there's going to be tension. In fact, that no, should be no surprise because actually if we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, we couldn't even make it three chapters in God's word to find the first uh, con marital conflict, marital spat, right? God said, Adam, what happened? He's like, what did me? It was that woman that you gave me. And Pastor Kevin talked about that, right? So from the get-go, but we see that as a result of the fall, as God pronounces really the curse to Adam and to Eve and then also to Satan, we see that part of that brokenness that we live in now as a in a broken world is that there is tension in relationships. There is tension in marriage. And the way that we work through that tension is by submitting to the Holy Spirit and by choosing to honor and love one another through the Holy Spirit, that he, the, 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 the peace that he brings. And so if there was a, a, a title of my message today, it might be something like Intimacy with Christ, uh, the found, but the foundation of intimacy with your spouse. How many of us would, would like more intimacy with our spouse? Right? We'd, we'd all like more intimacy with our spouse and probably for the men in the room, and just based on some elbow nudges and some smiles that I saw on faces, when men, when, or when, sometimes when we think that word intimacy, we immediately go to physical. We immediately go, oh, they're, they're talking about sex, in, sexual intimacy. And that's what we immediately go to. But intimacy is so much more and so much deeper than that. And many times, we think of that sex is that like ultimate thing, but it's really that sex is not proof of intimacy. Rather, it should be an expression of intimacy. And so when we think about this idea of intimacy with our spouse, our minds should not immediately go to physical. Our minds should immediately go to soul care, to, to spiritual well-being, to how much time are we spending together, because that's what leads to intimacy. I've heard intimacy explained this way, that you could break it down, and it could be into me see, 
into me see would be a good way to break down intimacy. The intimacy is, is about being seen, being known, but also knowing our spouse. And that takes time. That takes intentional work. It doesn't just happen overnight. But I, I, as I've been thinking about this and, and studying through this passage, the same reason why oftentimes we connect intimacy to something physical or something felt, I think is also sometimes why we misunderstand intimacy with God and why oftentimes we think intimacy with God is about a feeling or it's about, uh, it's about some, uh, just get, getting something from God or that it's this euphoric experience or hey, because one worship experience, I really felt intimacy with God, that's what we equate intimacy with God to is this feeling or this specific thing. But I want to submit this morning what we're going to see in God's word is that intimacy with God is about a moment by moment, a day-to-day commitment to spending time with him, to allow him to search us, to allow him to reveal to us those ways where we are not letting him into our lives. And that's what intimacy with God is all about. Intimacy with Christ is about knowing and being known by Christ. And so we're, as I mentioned, we'll start here in John chapter 10. These, these verses aren't on the screen. This was a, this was a late minute addition, uh, these verses. But John chapter 10, verse 14, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Intimacy with Christ is about knowing and being known by him. It goes on and says that his sheep know his voice. Do you know the voice of God? When the Holy Spirit prompts you, when the Holy Spirit is leading, are we able to recognize the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us? That is what intimacy is about, is being able to discern where God is leading us, how he is wanting to work in our life. And so I believe starting there helps us get that framework of just understanding that, and we'll get to this idea of marriages, but before we can even get to what a healthy, loving marriage looks like, we have to start at what does a healthy relationship with God look like? And that's going to, that's going to where we're going to turn in Ephesians chapter 5, where we'll land for the next little bit. And so here on the slide, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, <coughs> verse 1 and 2. It says, therefore, be imitators, and I'm reading from ESV. Uh, I, I didn't make that clear, so I'm sorry. On the screen, I think it's NLT, but I'm reading from the ESV. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We just read that in John chapter 10, that talking about being known and knowing that he said he lays his life down for the sheep. That is the ultimate expression of how much God loves us and how submitted Jesus was to his father, that he willingly laid down his life on the cross for you and I. We don't have time to dig deep into the the interactions between free will and God's sovereignty and 
then God was, Jesus was fully man, but fully God, and that's, that's a very complex idea, and we just don't have time to, to dig into that. But the reality is, is this, that at any moment, Jesus could have brought himself down off the cross. At any moment, just with a, a, a snap of his fingers, or a blink of his eyes, or just the thought of it, as, as the guards were coming to arrest Jesus that night in the garden, he could have made them all just disappear or drop dead. But he didn't because he was submitted to the will of his father. And he knew that what had, what had to happen to fulfill what his father wanted to happen. And so Jesus was not, did not forcibly go to the cross. He allowed himself to be taken to the cross for my sin, for your sin to allow us to have that intimacy with God. So this idea of intimacy with God, <clears throat> it's not a new idea that something God created because we see that, that, that God had a relationship with Adam and Eve. When he came, after the fall, he came calling for them. They knew God's voice. There's, there's implications there that that was something that had happened regularly, that they had regular communication and interaction with God. But because of the fall, now they, were no, they no longer walk daily with God. That, that we can read all throughout the Old Testament that to be in the presence of God, they had to go to a very specific place at a very specific time to go into the temple, to go into the inner courts, and to go into the Holy of Holies. That that is where the literal presence of God resided. But because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, that veil was torn now for us that put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are the temples of God. The Holy Spirit is living in us. And that is what allows us to have this intimacy with God. And so by Jesus willfully going to the cross, this opens that door for this intimacy, this being known but also knowing God. And so here, in, in, as, as Paul starts the church in Ephesus in verse 1, he's talking about being imitators of God to walk in love. And he says, what does that love look like? He says, as Christ loved us and gave himself up. So the next few verses, uh, verses really three down into, into uh, 19, we kind of see a list of things that explain what it does not look like to walk in love. What it does not look like to walk in love of, for God. Uh, in, in Galatians chapter 5, we see a list of what it means to walk in the flesh and walk in the spirit. There's another place. So, but here we just see this idea of this is what the, verse 3 through 19, uh, or I'm sorry, verse 3 through 18 could really be described as this, what it look, this is what it looks like to not walk in love or to walk in the flesh. And so we're not going to go through them, but we see things like sexual immorality, filthiness, uh, filthiness of talking. Uh, sexually immoral or impure. I think that one is so important, this idea of sexual purity. I think I grew up thinking, uh, and I, I guess I didn't give a disclaimer to Pastor Kevin. I know we have some uh, younger children or teenagers in here. Uh, so mom and dad, I'm, if, if uh, I'm opening up a can of worms, then um, go talk to Pastor Kevin after the message. He can talk with you. Uh, but, but this idea, I grew up with this idea of sexual purity as just meaning Hey, just don't have sex before you're married. That's what I understood purity. 
but purity is so much more than not just having sexual relations with someone. Pure, it's purity of the mind. It's pure, like in a dating relationship, honoring God in that. that that's, it means to be, purity means so much more than just a physical activity. And it's because it's rooted in creation that God created intimacy to happen between a husband and a wife. And that's why he talks about things like making the marriage bed pure. And so again, we don't have time to dig deep into that, but sometimes when we go through this list, we just think like, oh, well, I'm not having sex with someone outside of my marriage, so yeah, I can check that one off. Purity is so much more than just that. In verse six, it talks about not being deceived. Well, how do we allow ourselves to be deceived? We're deceived when we don't know the word of God. Right? If, if I, I had a, a refrigerator repairman come to our house the other day and he could have told me anything and charged me anything because I don't know about refrigerators. He could have said, oh, your thermocoupler elbow joint thing is broken. I'd be like, okay, 100 bucks, there you go. I wouldn't know because I don't know about refrigerators. And it's the same way that if we don't know God's word, then when we see things on, on social media, when we hear things about famous preachers, and I'm not dogging all famous preachers, but if we don't know the word of God, then we're gonna easily allow ourselves to be deceived. When it's really easy to not be deceived if we just read God's word. And so it goes on and, and talks about um, just walking in the light, uh, taking no part in unfruitful works, and being careful about how we walk. So I'd encourage you after today, maybe go, re- go back and read Ephesians chapter, all of chapter five, because we don't have time to dig deep into that today. But that what I hope that we're understanding is that intimacy with God is about knowing and being known by him. And that that's what this love that is being, Paul is speaking about here, walk in love. And again, love is like, okay, as I say the word love, there's probably, I don't know, there's maybe 75, 100 people in here. There's probably 200 different thoughts about love that come to mind when we hear the word love. But hold your place here in Ephesians, and we need to flip back to John, uh, 1 John. It's not the Gospel of John, uh, but there's 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. I want to look at 1st John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. And again, I'm reading from the ESV. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. So again, this is kind of echoing the, the greatest commandment, love one another. This is echoing what we just read here in Ephesians, to walk in love. So it says, love one another, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. The verse that we read in the Gospel of John, it's that same Greek word here when it's talking about knowing, and we'll talk about that in just a second. Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins or to stand in the place of our sins. I want to go back there to verse 8 where it says, because God is love. God is love. Apart from God, we cannot know what love is because God is love. Outside of God, we cannot know what love is. And that's why the world cannot fully know or even express love. 
And so maybe you're saying, well, Jesse, does that mean if someone's not a Christian that they, they can't say the word love or they don't know love? Like, no, they, they might, they can, they, obviously they can say it, and they might understand it to limitations, but that's part of faith in God is do we believe God's word or not? And if we believe God's word, and it's saying here that God is love, that the only way that we can know love is to know God because God is love. He, every being, every, every part of God's being is love. There's, as, we, as you study something called the doctrine of God, uh, there's this idea of the simplicity of God. And that doesn't mean that God is simple. It means anything but. But it means that God is all things at all times. So that God is just. God is love. God is holy. God is all these things all the time. Not, he's not 1% this and 1% 1, 1 of 100 things or it's sometimes he's 10% this. No, he is 100% of the time, 100% of those things. That they interact perfectly and they call that the simplicity of God. And so God is love. And so what's important to understand here is this love that it's talking about, that it repeats here several times, it's referring to, and I'm sure you've heard this, agape love. It's not brotherly love. It's not some affectionate love, as are the two other Greek words that are used for love. This is agape love, which means it, the, the word agape is generally only used in reference to God and the love that we are to have for one another through the supernatural empowerment of God. But it, agape love means an, a, 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 um, a, a commit, it means commitment and an act of free will, and that there's, there's a commitment to that love. And so when it's saying that God is love, it's not some flippant, flippant like, I love my iPhone, I love my dog, I love macaroni and cheese, I love whatever I'm gonna have for lunch. Now that I got you thinking about lunch, but it's not that type of love. It's this undying, willful love to lay your life down for the other. And as we just saw there on the screen, to love, we must know God. And so here in 1 John where it talks about if we know, know God, we, will, we love God and, and, and these things, one of the greatest ways that we can know are we showing the love of God is in John chapter 14, verse 15, it says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And that's one of those verses sometimes that people say, oh, are you, you talking about legalism? I thought, I thought Jesus isn't about all this, these rules of do's and don'ts. Like, no, love, uh, rules, it, Jesus is not about do's and don'ts. What, this ver what that verse is talking about and what it truly means to obey God's commandments out of love is because we put God first in our life, that we submit our will to his and we obey him. We willfully, again, that's the agape, that it's a willful submission to God's ways and not our ways. And so to know God's commandments, we must know his words. And in, there in, uh, in 1 John, that word for know, the Greek word, it talks about knowledge gained through experience. So there's, when he's talking about that, that to, to know God, it's that we are able to experience the love of God. It's not just something that we have to just read about or study, but that we can literally experience the love of God. And what's interesting about that word, that Greek word there, uh, is it's the same word in Matthew chapter 1, verse 25, where it says that Joseph did not know his wife. 
meaning that they had not had sexual relationships. And so there is, it's linking there this idea of knowing to intimacy. And that's, that's the connection there. And then even a step further is there, there's, there's a, a document called the, or a, a writing called the Septuagint, which is the Greek interpretation of the Old Testament. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. But going back to Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, where it says that Adam knew his wife Eve, it uses that same Greek word that we see here in Matthew 1, where it said Joseph had not yet known Mary, and it's the same Greek word that is used all throughout there in 1 John. And so what the connection there is, and what I, what I hope we're trying to see is this idea that there is an intimacy to knowing God and being known by God, and that that leads to this agape love. So this point, knowing God is about intimacy with God. And so just a, a working definition of intimacy would be a close familiarity or friendship or closeness with, with someone. And so because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, we are able to intimately, we are closely, we are able to have a friendship. Actually, in John chapter 15, Jesus said that. He said, he said I now call you friends. We have an opportunity to be friends with Jesus. And again, that too, we don't have time to break that down. We sometimes minimize that to earthly understanding of friendship. But we have to think about this idea of this, this godly love that he is talking about. And so all of that brings us to verse 20 in chapter 5, where we'll be for the rest of our time this morning. In Ephesians chapter 5, after Jesus has started, or after Paul in verse 1 has talked about to walk in love and then kind of shown us what that doesn't look like, then starting in verse 20, he says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so this means his brothers and sisters. So Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and so he's talking to believers. And so this verse is telling us, to, us too, that we are to submit to one another. Why? Out of reverence for Christ. Submission is not something that we like to talk about a lot or we don't fully understand, and usually it has these like, negative connotations. And so if we, if we uh, just flip back one chapter to Philippians chapter 2, we see kind of a picture of what this submission looks like. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significantly than yourself. Let each of you not look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. What does it look like to submit in reverence to Christ? It means to think of others more highly than yourselves. And again, we're not, this isn't the passage yet about, about uh, husbands and wives. We're talking about one another. Every one of us, if we're a brother and sister in Christ, this passage is talking about how we should interact with one another. Think about some of the conflicts that you've experienced in church. Why do they happen? Generally, it's because either you or the other person that you were in conflict with, with didn't consider yourself, that person, more highly than yourself. We put our own interests, our own desires, above the interests and the desires of ourselves. And every time we do that, there will always be 
conflict. And so this passage is imploring us, commanding us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's not, I'm not supposed to submit to Pastor Kevin as my brother just because, oh, Pastor Kevin's such a great guy. He is a really great guy. But I don't do that because of who Kevin is. I submit to my brother in Christ because of who Jesus is. That's where our submission to one another comes from because we can only submit to one another through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is not natural, it is not humanly to submit to one another. It's not humanly to desire to, to please the other person. We might be able to do that in our flesh momentarily or for a period of time, but we cannot fully pursue the interests of other, person, of other people above ourselves unless we are submitted first and have reverence first for Christ. Our submission to one another comes from submission to Christ. I would say it this way all, furthermore is where there is no submission, there is no reverence. When we fail to submit to one another, again, because that submission should come through Christ, we're ultimately not, not submitting to our brother or sister. We're not submitting and showing reverence to Christ. And where does this reverence for Christ come from is, is recognizing that it was, as we just read here in Philippians and in 1 John and all throughout Scripture, is because Jesus modeled it for us. Jesus modeled for us what it looks like to lay down our interests, our desires, our well-being at times for the well-being and interests of others. Y'all, that doesn't make sense because it's not a human concept. It's a, it's a divine, it's a spiritual concept to truly want to please, and not, not please other people, but want to pursue the best interests of others. And so this is then where, again, I hope we've been kind of building this idea of to, to, have, to, to know God, we have to have this intimacy, to walk in love, and as we know God and he knows us, that that allows us to have intimacy with him and him to have intimacy with us, which then allows us to love others well and submit to one another, which leads us to verse 22. So we just read that we are all called to submit to one another, but then specifically here Paul turns to a husband and wife dynamic. And he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. I want us to go back there in verse 22 and see, wives submit to your husbands, why? As to the Lord. The submission of wives to their husbands is, again, not for the benefit of their husband or not even by the ability of themselves, but it is only out of a desire to do it unto the Lord. And because we just talked about that we are incapable of doing that by ourselves, it is for and dependent on the Holy Spirit living inside of us. 
When we have conflict in our marriage, it's not because we stop becoming a Christian. Okay, this isn't, we're not talking about eternal security. But when there's, con, when there's conflict in our marriage, either one or both of us are being led by the flesh and not led by the spirit. We're walking in not love but versus walking in love. And it shouldn't be a surprise to us. God's word is clear about this. And so don't worry, wives. You're like, all right, move on. But we'll get to husbands in just a second, okay? But here's the wives. One of the greatest ways that you can show love for Christ, not your husband, one of the greatest ways that you can show love for Jesus Christ is by showing love and submission to your husband. And I know that, again, that word submitting it's like, ah, that, what, is, what does that mean? It's 2024, come on, this was written thousands of years ago. Yeah, but who was it written by? It was written by man through the power and enabling of the Holy Spirit. The Bible is not some antique book that's old-fashioned and can't keep up with the times. Everything that has happened and will happen, we read about in here. And if you don't believe me, then please come talk to me afterwards. I'd love to talk with you more about that. God's word is not outdated, something to, to, well, that applied then, but not now. No, because how do I know this? Because when we apply God's word to our life, we see, what ha- we see it happen. We see that when we honor and love one another, that there's harmony in relationships. That's not an accident. It's because it's God's word, and it's true, and it's real. And if we just obey and submit first to God and then submit to one another, then God's word, and for lack of better expression, God's word works because it is true and it will always, it will will never fail. And so just very quickly about this word submission, I don't want to spin it and say, well, it's just, but the actual Greek word here is is to be under or arranged, to be arranged under. It was generally used as like a a military term and that it was, that there was, uh, there was hierarchy kind of within, um, within the, the military. And there were those that kind of gave the orders, there were those that carried that out. And so maybe you're saying, so Jesse, are you saying that like, as a wife, that I'm just supposed to do everything my husband says? That's not what biblical submission is. And how do I know that that's not big biblical submission? It's because, again, hold your finger right here. But if we look at Colossians, again, same human author, but same spiritual author, the Holy Spirit, in, in uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul says the same thing much more succinctly. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Again, pointing that it's only because and by way of the Lord. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So submission is not some harsh thing. It's not this about lording over or ruling over. Uh, Jesus talks about that, I think it's in Matthew 25 and in 1 Peter, that those in leadership were not to lord over like the pagans do, it says. So this isn't about a lording over. It's about being submitted first to God. And we see in verse 33 here in Ephesians 5 that submission looks a lot like respect because Paul summarizes that. He says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let his wife see that she respects her husband. So there is this link between submission and respect. And if you're saying, well, maybe it's just your translation that says submit. Again, you've got like an outdated version. Every major translation, I would guess, everybody in here is either reading from the NIV, the NLT, the ESV, or the King James Version. They all say, wives, submit to your husbands. But it also says in verse 21, submitting 
Don't leave. There's always one, right? If, does anybody have a New American Standard Bible, an ASB in here? No? Okay. All right. NASB is the, the one, and they say be subject to your husband, but it's the same idea. But it's this, it's this idea that it's not a less than, and that's another thing that our culture has tried to spin this and say, oh, those Christians, they're all about like domineering and they're this and that. It's not about being less than. It's about God's design. And this idea of women's, of wives submitting to their husbands, it's anchored in creation, and it's anchored in that's how God designed it. And so if we push back against, I don't really like that word submission, we're not pushing back against some word or even ultimately about the Bible, we're pushing back against God and saying, God, I don't like your design. I don't like how you did it. And the reason I say that it's anchored in creation I know I said we'd be mostly in Ephesians, and we're flipping back and forth, but that's okay. In, Ephes- in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, Then the Lord God formed the man of, of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils and the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Just a very quick side note, it's interesting when Jesus, uh, in the upper room, it says that he breathes uh, the Holy Spirit out on his disciples. It's the same, again, in the Septuagint, the Greek translation. It's the same word that we see here. So it's this idea of God is like breathing life into them. The Holy Spirit is, uh, is, God, is, is God's breathing life into us. But anyways, back here in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. So we see that God created man first and then woman In verse 18, and this is where all the women in the church can say amen in just a second. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Amen? Amen. It is not good. It's the only thing that God created that he said that it is not good. It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And we read about that a few verses later in 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, "This this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. God's design of man and woman. There are are man and woman. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what science says. There is man and woman. There There are two genders. Because that's how God designed it. There are man and woman. And why did he create them? To become one flesh. He created them to complement one another. He created them for specific purposes. This word helpmate implies this idea of it's a complement. Uh, and this, this Greek word, or this Hebrew word fit is according to the opposite, similar to kind of like a puzzle piece. In fact, I don't know how many plumbers we have in the room. If you have two plumbing fittings, uh, you have generally one that's a little bigger, one that's, one that's smaller. They actually call it male-female because they come together and, and form a joint. They form a bond. Male and female come together to complement one another because that's how God designed it. Again, if you disagree with that, you're not disagreeing with me. You're disagreeing with God because God created it this way way. One of the commentaries that I read by Matt Henry, 
I thought this was an interesting perspective. He said, the woman was made out of, uh, out of Adam's side. She was not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be loved by him. See, God created man and woman to be a complement, to be a symbiotic relationship. God brought me and Kayla together because without Kayla, I'm incomplete. There are things that I can't do. There are things that Kayla can't do, but God's created us uniquely to do those things. And when we come together, we fit together. And that's why, especially young people in here, marriage is not some flippant decision. Marriage is not a decision to be made while we've been living together for a couple years, so I guess we should get married. Marriage is something that should be and must be submitted. God, are you wanting us to be married? Because God brings two people together to complement you, to complete you. And we're going to end with this back in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, because I can't, I can't walk off the stage with not talking just about women and not talking about the husbands. But you also notice husbands are probably a little bit harder, harder head, and I'm going to say probably they are. How many verses did he talk to women, and now how many verses did he talk to men? All right, so pay attention, men. Husband, verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with, word, with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Now listen, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Where did we just read that? In Genesis, in God, out of the words, uh, out of the mouth of God, that, that this is, this was, cre- God created man and wife to come together, to be together, to form one flesh. And one last quote. It says, when a man comes into an authentic understanding of his role as a spiritual leader, he doesn't become more bossy or controlling he serves. In turn, this generally spawns a similar response from the Christian wife. Most wives, no matter how strong their own personality or leadership ability, will welcome a husband living out authentic spiritual leadership. And he goes on and says, if husbands will love their wives in this manner, talked about here in Ephesians, wives will generally have few problems submitting to this kind of love. Husbands and wives, when we have conflict, what are the questions that we often think? What's their problem? What's wrong with them? I can't believe they did this. How did they do this? Why did they do this? But I think we need to shift that. When we lack intimacy or connection with our spouse, I think we need to ask this question. How is my intimacy with God? All conflict in all relationships, but specifically between husband and wife, stems from viewing things not through the lens of God's word, but through the lens of our eyes, through the lens of our flesh. 
and it causes conflict. It causes relational uh, turmoil. Not because we're these terrible people, although God's word says that there's no one righteous, not even one, that all of our, our works are like filthy rags, right? But it's not just because your wife is this terrible person or your husband's this terrible person. It's because we are sinful people. And sin and selfishness and pride will always lead to tension. And so where's the hope, Jesse? I want to close with this. Is, uh, maybe, maybe Mickey would come up. In John uh, chapter 14, John chapter 14, verse 6 and 7. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. How do we serve our spouse? That's ultimately what this idea of submitting is. Do we put their needs above our needs? And men in the room, male leadership is not just that being a male does not inherently make you a leader. We have to lead well. We have to, we have to model for our wives what it means to love Jesus. Notice in both in, in both speaking, Paul speaking to husbands and wives, he doesn't say, wives submit to your husbands if they deserve it or if they just bought you something nice or if they're treating you. No, it says, wives submit to your husbands, period. And then it doesn't say, husbands love your wives if they made you something nice for dinner or if you're feeling nice or if you've had a good day. No, it says, husbands love your wives, period. We are supposed to love and submit to and serve one another. out of a reverence and an intimacy with who God is and what he has done for us. And so if we're struggling in our relationships, if we're struggling in our marriages, maybe, maybe we need some marital counseling. Maybe we need to bring other people into our lives to walk alongside us. But if we're, walking, if we're inviting someone into our lives to speak into our marriage, it needs to be someone that's speaking truth. But ultimately, if our relationships and our marriages are out of whack, I just want to ask you this morning, how is your intimacy with God? We cannot submit to one another. We cannot love one another. If we are not first submitted to, if we are not first loving, and if we do not know in an intimate and personal way our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Those aren't my words. Those are the words of God himself. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for this morning, Lord. God, I, I pray that, that you've been honored in every aspect of everything that's happened here this morning. Lord, from children's ministry to just even people walking in and greeting one another, Lord. Just the, the, what a blessing and a gift fellowship with brothers and sisters is. Lord, I just, I, I pray that the words that I have spoken have honored and glorified you, Lord. But Lord, more importantly, I just pray that your spirit would just 
be speaking to hearts and lives in this room. God, I pray for Hope Church, Lord, that every person in here would just be submitted to you out of an intimate reverence for you. Lord, I I confess to you this morning, there are too many times where I put my desires, my needs, my what what my comfort above that of, of Kayla's. And those are the things that, that lead to disagreements and, and even my children. There's times that I put I don't put them first and, and then that leads to conflict. And so I confess to that, Lord. And so Lord, I, I know there's at least one other couple in here, God, that just needs to receive that word that but it's not them. It's not about their spouse. They don't need to fix their spouse or focus on their spouse. They need to focus on you. To spend time with you. And regardless of how our spouse is responding, that you have called us to love you first. And that enables and allows us to love and submit to our spouse well. And so Lord, I just pray for the men in this church that they would lead their families well. Lord, that they would model intimate alone time with with you, that they would model time in the word, time in prayer, time memorizing scripture, to model that for their, their wives, for their children. And Lord, I just pray for the wives in here, Lord, that that you would give them a a desire to to respect and submit to their, their husbands, not out of being ruled over, but out of being submitted to you, and then therefore desiring to pursue those things to put their husband before their needs, and that husbands would put their needs, or that husbands would put their needs, that their wives' needs above them, Lord. So God, I just pray for this morning that as we walk out of here, Lord, just even in the conversations between here and the car, in the car, at lunchtime, later today, tomorrow, this week, Lord, that all of us would just press into that thought of how am I doing in intimacy with you? And so many of these other relational conflicts that we have, Lord, will we'll, we'll just dissipate because our hearts, our attitudes, our minds are changing. And instead of challenge, we see opportunity. Instead of difficulty, we see ministry opportunities. So I just, again, thank you for your word. I thank you for who you are. Jesus, we thank you for your love for us, for willfully dying on the cross for us out of submission to your Father. God, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen. Hey, would you, uh, would you give Jesse a hand and just, um, man, I, I think being challenged in all of our relationships that the starting point for anything healthy that you experience in friendship, that you experience um, in a marriage certainly is intimacy with the Lord. So I, I love having uh, one of our missions partners here, and I, I don't feel like it would be right without us doing this before we dismiss. I'm gonna ask Kayla to come up here. I know she doesn't love being up on the stage, but uh, many of you remember I was gone back in October 
over Sunday. I, I was down in Belize working with Jesse and Kayla for that week, uh, just seeing what God's using them to accomplish and what he's doing through Par Ministries. Has, it's just, it's amazing, and it's a blessing for us to be able to partner with them. You know, not many of us can take a month and go to Belize and Mexico and Guatemala and Honduras. In fact, most of us can't, but we're an extension of, of or they're an extension of us um, because we're, we're partnered together. And so this is what I would love to do. Um, I would love today just to end for us praying for them. Could we do that? Could you just, could you stretch forth, stretch forth? I feel like I'm, a, um, I'm Moses on the, the, stretch forth your hand. Just stretch your hand out. I went King James in my language there. And we're going to pray for them, um, that God would continue to open up doors for them, that God would, would protect their family, that would protect their marriage, protect their beautiful little girls, that uh, watching the girls while I was there, they're, they're a part of this ministry as well. And it's, it's amazing to see how Jesse and Kayla integrate their kids into what they're doing, that God would protect them, that God would use them, that they would have the funding that they need, that they would have open doors, that they would be able to uh, connect with leaders in, in churches, that God would just use them in miraculous ways. And, and I know they have a vision, they have plans, but that God would do even infinitely more than they could even ask or think as they're obedient and faithful to him. Can we pray for that right now? Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for Jesse and for Kayla and for this ministry um, that you have birthed inside both of them. And they're a team. They work together. Uh, they complement each other in, in all that they do. And, and God, we thank you for them and their family, for the beautiful little girls that you've given them. And God, we thank you that we can we can partner with them to, uh, to bring leadership and hope and healing and uh, not just here in, in this area and, and in the United States, but God, in Central America and all the different places that God is using them. God, would your hand of protection continue to be on them? Would you open up doors that men can't close? And would you accomplish above and beyond anything they could even imagine? I know that they both just want to serve you and be faithful to you. They've sacrificed much. And God, that that you know that. And, and would you just continue to keep them strong, keep them connected ultimately to you and to each other? And God, just use them as a family for your honor and your glory so that, that your kingdom can be uh, made greater so that more people can come to know you. And God, we just thank you so much for these servants that you've placed in this role and continue to use them. And thank you that we get to play a small part in it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Can we just thank the Lord for what he's doing? Hey, I'm going to ask you just to stand right now, and we're going to dismiss. And you don't need to hear me pray again or anyone else pray. But I want to just remind you of a couple things. Don't forget, ladies, uh, there's already front and back of that sheet filled up for the ladies' night, uh, February the 26th at Steve's Marina. Uh, if you're, like, going back and forth, should I be a part of that? Should I not? Take a step and, and go. Sign up for that. And uh, it'll be a great, great time of being together. We hope to see you again next Sunday. And uh, God bless you. Have an amazing, amazing day. Thank you.